is Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. After a brief doubleheader hiccup by the Toronto Blue Jays, Real Kipper and Bourne back on the air. Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne, producer Matt Marchese, Derek Brandeo pushing all the right buttons for the next two hours. We got a terrific show lined up. Of course, we're going to follow up what's going on with the Toronto Maple Leafs as uh, they close out uh, Gravenhurst and Cottage Country. Maybe a, a little bit of bonding going on down there. Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine and NHL.com is going to stop by and give us his thoughts, not only on Matt Murray and Samsonov, but maybe what's going on in Ottawa with Cam Talbot out of that lineup for the next seven weeks. Speaking of goalies, Andrew Raycroft, Bruins analyst and co-host of the Morning Brew podcast. He's going to come by in the second hour. And an old teammate and a friend of the show, Alan May. Washington Capitals analyst will close out the next two hours. But boys, before we go any further, we are on the eve of Major League Baseball (laughs) playoffs. And because we got interrupted yesterday, I I think we got to give it just a little bit of of, uh, acknowledgement here on our expectations here going into a three-game series with Seattle. Let's start with you, JB. Where do you gauge uh, your Blue Jay expectations going into this weekend? Well, first off, just let me say, I'm glad to hear your voice because I wasn't sure, you know, you're out there in the wild. We are not in the same room right now, Kipper. I'm happy uh, to be together with you today. Glad you made it. Perfect. You sound wonderful. Um, Blue Jays, though. Blue Jays, I have high expectations. You know why? Because they have the exact type of people you want in a, I don't know, anything can happen sort of baseball game, right? Like they got the guys who can go off, who can have big nights. You're not going to, you know, they're not going to steady their way through this. They got guys who can explode. And I think, you know, three game series here, I got high expectations. What are you thinking? I, I think Manoa. it's a must. And I want to, I want to bring in Mark. Uh, or Matt, sorry, <laughs> Matt uh, Marchese. Oh, he's not. He's, uh, do we have him today or we don't? No, nah, he's testing Merrick's show. He's got priorities oh. right now, Kipper. Oh, my God. Is, is, Maddie, <laughs> is, is, is Maddie pulling a Sammy right now and just, like, going to the bathroom in the middle of the show? Matt, Matt's in Mexico right now. No, yeah, he's... <laughs> It's you and me, brother. You, you, unless you want to throw to Derek, our technical producer, we can make him an on-air host for the day, but I think it's you and me, bud. Uh, I think if I get dropped, I think we'll bring in Derek, okay? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, listen, just to stay a little bit on on, on not so much a, a blue we're, – we're not pulling a, um, a Blair and Barker here for the next two hours, I can assure no. all the listeners, okay? But as, as far as a, a Toronto story, yeah. JB, where is, where is the pressure – on the Jays to come out of this three games. And is is it even comparable to uh, a leaf potential of, of not making it past? Would they be criticized? Mm -hmm. Would, would the Toronto fans be as harsh on the blue Jays if they don't get by Seattle as, as leaf fans were against Montreal, Columbus, Tampa Bay? You know that answer. You know it's not even close. There's joy. 
There's joy with the Toronto Maple Leafs. The, the, there's dread. Or sorry, there's joy with the Toronto Blue Jays. There's dread with the Maple Leafs. Like, I don't know what it is, Kipper, and I guess it's probably just the volume of failures from the Leafs versus their expectations, but there are comparables between the two teams. You can see that there's superstars at the Blue Jays, young guys. It's Bichette. It's Guerrero. You know, there's guys that they're like, okay, this team's going to break through at some point, but they haven't had enough heartbreak where you say, okay, we're done talking about the future. We need it now. It's been we need it now for the Leafs for, I don't know, three years, and the disappointment has has sapped the joy out of it. Even our own Sammy, our beloved Sammy, going into the season, there's he's like, oh, okay. Okay, we're going to... I'm thrilled. (laughs) We're going (laughs) to expose ourselves to this pain once again. So I think uh, not nearly as much pressure, but certainly if they bow out in a game or in a couple of games, uh, the pressure starts to mount on guys like Guerrero and Bichette. Well, listen, uh, even with those guys still waiting for their their big contracts here i think the jays are close to 190 in in payroll here while while seattle's i think in the bottom third uh like there's there's just no way that toronto loses to seattle here oh wow i love by the way people should know that we we became our group chat became a jays group chat during the summer (laughs) yes yes we continued on it night by night criticizing Yusei Kikuchi and uh, several okay. other people. But l- less emotional if, if they do lose for baseball than it is for hockey for, for this city, I think. Dude, if the Leafs lose again, what? I mean, <laughs> they're going to burn down Scotiabank Arena. I don't know what's going to happen. It's they, it's The pressure is peak for this Leafs team. Nick, uh, one thing we didn't get to mention about uh, our guy Kipper is uh, at a – Washington, D.C. event for the Capitals. I don't know what he's doing down there, but it's part of the reason we got Alan May on today, which I'm excited about. Um, I, I don't even know what his events are, but we were happy to happy to get a little piece of them. So one of the things that we had talked about discussing with Kipper and I today was the great adventure of going away with your team, the bonding, all that sort of stuff that comes with it. And for me, how all that stuff for the Toronto Maple Leafs this year simply does not matter. I mean, I I can't tell you. This team is not about coming together and finding it and finding their group. I just think they're so far past it. Like, I just look at William Nylander and Marner and Matthews and Tavares and say they have been together long enough. This has been a group that, you know, they know each other now. This isn't about finding team chemistry. They're just so far past that element to me. You know, this is not a team that needs bowling trips this year. You know what I mean? Like, we are past bonding and all that other stuff for this Leafs team. Familiarity. They finally have it where other teams don't. I'm not with you on that. Oh, boo, hiss. What do you got? Yeah. Well, I just, I'm I'm looking from the net on out. And do they not have to bond? Do they not have to reconnect with a goalie scenario when they've been used to the last year with that warm and fuzzy feeling on Jack Campbell and you 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 really with with Jack no matter wherever he was it, whether it was on our show last year or in his post game comments or uh, a clip during an off day at practice you always got the sense of how close they were as a team yeah, and, like they and, like how close you are with a Labrador. He's just their happy little buddy, uh, Jack Campbell. Uh, 
a hundred percent. And now Edmonton's going through that now, right? Yeah, with yeah. Jack. Right. But like, you're not getting any of that with Matt Murray or Sam Sonov. And Matt is certainly not that personality, but at the same time, uh, maybe there is some bonding to be done. Maybe there's a, a little uh, warmth or trust that needs to be developed with their goaltenders. Mm-hmm. You don't, do you see that at all? No, I, I get the point about them, those guys, because they are a part of your core. They're, every goalie is a part of your core, no matter you know who your goalie is. They're just an essential part. So there is that element. But I actually think it's one of the kind of under-discussed stories heading into this season is the Leafs have true consistency. They lost Mikheyev and they lost Kasha. Uh, you know, that's pretty much it of really important players here. So they have this same group of guys who's been through it. Yeah, there's some fresh blood in there. Aston Reese and Abe Kubel and Yarncroft. They got a few new guys. But by and large, Kerfoot, Engvall, even these guys down the lineup, Simmons and Clifford are still around with Nylander. Robertson's been around the team three years now. These guys, Kipper, should start well. Last year they were what? Two, four, and one through seven games. They had a terrible start. I don't expect that to be the case this season. Well, we got two goalies uh, in the next uh, few hours here to lean on. Kevin Woodley mm-hmm. in Goal Magazine and NHL.com. He's going to be by in about 20 minutes. Andrew Raycroft, of course, former Leaf and Bruin analyst. Uh, he's going to be along as well. I don't want to get into it with, with those guys in terms of, you know, that, that stuff that you, you can't pin analytics on. And that is... Yeah. You know, the, the team chemistry and if the Leafs need to go through a process here um, earlier in the season uh, before they really settle in with both their goaltenders. But uh, as far as uh, Sheldon Keefe, we know on many occasions, JB, he was actually the star of our show last year. Oh, God, with- I hope he stays employed because we'll be in trouble if he's gone. With his clips. Yeah. So uh, I made sure that uh, our boy Maddie found something out of Sheldon Keefe to start us off. And uh, let's go with his first clip. Kipper's Clippers. We're back. We're back, baby. Uh, on his thoughts so far this early in training camp. You know, the guys want to play for real, especially, I mean, we've got a lot of guys here that have played together a long time. And, and, you know, we, you go through things in camp. You know, we've made some adjustments to a few different things that we want to do as a team. But by and large, a lot of it is similar. Our structure and the way we want to play is pretty similar. So the guys are ready to just push on and, and get playing for real, I think. Uh, so the fact that we come here and break it up, I think, is great. I, I, I thought we got a lot out of the practice today. It was a really good day. First time we've had... You know, one group going too so that that added extra competitiveness and pace and the execution was higher so i liked a lot of that and uh, yeah i think by the time we come out of this we'll you know i like that we have two games left it'll be uh you know the the first game in detroit will, will be you know a lot of opportunity for guys competing for spots and then back in in toronto expected to be a little bit closer to to our group um but uh you know with all that said and even though we Made some decisions with line combinations and things today. There's, there's still positions up, up for grabs. The guys are still competing, you know. So we've got, we've got a week left here. We've got two preseason games, you know. And so a lot of things can, and likely will change. That's just the nature of it. JB, has there ever been a, a coach in NHL history that said in during training camp, I, I, I just hate what I've seen so far. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. No. 
<laughs> I don't think so. They're all like, I, I have orchestrated this beautifully. It wasn't good. Every team has like won the Stanley Cup coming out of training camp or for sure will make the playoffs just based on on all the positives uh, they see. Every team, yeah. re regardless of where you finished last year, everybody just raves on on their veterans and their uh, and their prospects. Yeah, you got to start from there at the very least, even if it's phony or whatever. There's just no incentive to say otherwise. So saying, saying all the right things, keeping it moving. Excuse me. The other thing with this, Kipper, you know, talking about this start. So he's happy with camp. He, everyone's ready to get going. If you look at their schedule to, to go through October, they got 10 games in October, seven of them against non-playoff teams. Like the only playoff teams they face in the, in the first month are the Capitals and the Kings and Dallas. You know, so there's there's no reason that this team shouldn't start well. I'm, I'm optimistic, as it sounds like Sheldon Keefe is, about the direction to begin things. Isn't there a danger of, of, of maybe just letting your guard down based on that? You don't see that at all? Yeah. Coming up? I do see that. And maybe the case can be made that you want to play great teams and get competitive right away and feel like, oh, man, we got to get up to speed right away. They, they opened with the Montreal Canadiens, the 32nd place team last year. Um, they got the Senators and Coyotes the weekend after that. So, yeah, there, there's a, I guess there is a good point to be made that, yeah, you don't want to just, like, play poorly and win and ingrain those habits. Wednesday in practice in Gravenhurst, we saw the, uh, the line of Robertson, Nylander, and Malgin. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I had something in my throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw up? <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. You're right. No, no, no. Um, listen, we've had conversations in the past uh, about Marner and Nylander being natural centermen's uh uh, during their progression to the National Hockey League. Mm -hmm. You've had is conversations there, about that in particular. Is, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, is it possible that Nylander could start uh, with, with Tavares on the shelf? Well, I right think... there? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's possible. Namely because... It feels like Sheldon and Kyle like to get creative during the regular season and try things. They'll try Marner on D. They're going to try, try, try different things. But this is something that he has been hesitant to do in the past. I think the last time he did this, Kipper, the Leafs were in game five against Columbus. They decided to load up Matthews, Marner, and Tavares, and they had Nylander center a second line. And I don't know if we saw it much at all since then. I don't think Sheldon Keefe likes this. Um, in fact, I think we have a Keith clip on this. Do we not, Derek? Do, why don't we play that, Kipper? Is that cool with you? Yeah, you bet. Let's, let's hit that clip. I mean, well, he's done that before, and I think has the ability to. Frankly, I wouldn't read too much into it. You know, I mean, really, if you kind of break it down, it's, it's kind of a placeholder for John, you know, uh, in his spot. So there's those elements to it. But, you know, I, I think it's important for Willie to get some reps, you know, through the camp and, all that because he does play center at times and and uh you know we might use him there and then the final uh, preseason game that he'll play we'll see how the rest of the week goes and how john's uh recovery is looking and make some decisions from there but it was really more so i wanted to get a look at uh engvall kerfoot and Yonkroc today so it was just natural to put willie in that spot for today i noted that uh, uh willie took some face-offs on the penalty kill uh that used to be i guess jason spetz's job you have an opening for a right-handed draw yeah yeah we do and willie's 
Willie through his career has been, you know, when called upon, a good right-handed face-off option. He hasn't, hasn't taken many of them in the defensive zone. But, uh, you know, we're wanting to see if he can, he can grow his role and usage on the penalty kill. And then having a right-side face-off guy is important. We've got Yarncroc's addition as well. Uh, that can help with that. You know, uh, David Camp does a pretty good job for us, on it, even though it's his offside there. But having additional options, I think, is important. What a take well, clearly, there, clearly, Sheldon wants nothing to do with Nylander <laughs> in the second <laughs> slot, right? He's, yeah, he's a, little, like, he's a like, placeholder. He didn't say it, but he's like, if if that's where we're going, we might as well just mail in the season and like get John as quickly as we can back into that yeah. second uh, slot. Yeah, and he was, you know, even like with the PK stuff, he's like, yeah, he's been pretty good as a right-handed face-off guy, just not in the D zone. We don't really do that. <laughs> you know, like he didn't he didn't seem to want to deal with that. I look at this lineup right now, the way they've got it going. They got Matthews, Marner, Bunting, Nylander, Mulligan, Robertson, Aston Reese, Camp, Abe Kubel, Engvall, Kerfoot, Yarncroft. And the one thing that stands out to me is this Mulligan thing. And... I, I got to believe if they're keeping him around, they want to put him in a position to have some success, put him with good players. But when Tavares comes back and Nylander moves over, he seems to be the odd man out. Does he not? Do you think they like him? And, and, well, I'm just, I'm just sitting here going, uh, Mulligan means what? Wayne Simmons starts with the Marlies. Well, I know that's the other thing is you know, he's never played an American league game in his life. You're going to tell Wayne Simmons to go to the AHL. Yeah, and there are some that have suggested to me that uh, if if that happens, that it it, it wouldn't be a a quiet story. Just like he gone, he gone. <laughs> well, I'm just I just don't know if that's been talked about or decided. And yes, he did get an extra year on his on his contract extension last year, and I'm just wondering if if it was ever dis discussed about that 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 uh, transition to hey maybe you know you might spend some time with the marlies in uh, in the second year are you okay with that right if 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 you're a guy that we um a first call up guy you get to live at home you're still in toronto you're still making just what a hair shy of a million dollars us we all cool here on that yeah that and is a hundred percent what needed to have I, happened. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that conversation has happened. Maybe it has, but if it hasn't, JB, then you know this this could be an interesting uh, you know week uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Even if it has happened, Kipper, it happens with the player not believing it's going to happen, right? Like it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you'll send me down worst case scenario. But in his mind, he's like, "This is the Leafs. I'm going to play in the power play." That there was initially, he was there when he was with the Leafs. They're like, he's thinking, "I'm going to put up a bunch of goals from the goal line." You know, they're going to keep me. It's going to be great. Like, I don't think anyone ever foresees the worst case scenario happening, which is them saying, "Yeah, yeah." Remember that thing we talked about? Bye bye. Yeah. So I, I don't. You're right. I don't know that that would go overly smooth, but. I mean, what are you going to do? You can keep a guy for leadership who is going to, you know, make a fuss if he doesn't get what he wants. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's a great scenario either. So can't keep a guy because he's going to get angry. That's for sure. I, I really got to think that 
like, I don't know. Is there anything on the weekend that you're going to see that's going to change your mind on the roster that opens up Wednesday? Really? Great question. You know, I guess it's the fringes guys. Like, how about Adam Gaudet? Adam Gaudet got hurt. Initially, they had him playing with good players and was, uh, you know, they were like, all right, this is a guy with some physicality and some offense. Let's see what he can do. And he's done. He hasn't had the chance to do much, but maybe he comes in and makes some noise. But Clifford and Simmons, you kind of think you know what you have. Alex Steves, they seem to like and want to, like, let him know he's close to getting chances, but he's not a real viable guy to me. So, yeah, I don't know, Kipper. I don't think you're going to see too much outside of maybe some line combinations. What do you think about them keeping Matthews, Marner, and Bunting together, not even, like, I don't know, shuffling that up this year? Uh, Not surprised at all. And, uh, again, you've uh, got a a superstar. Uh, You got two superstars on that line, Mm -hmm. and there seems to be a a chemistry thing going. We all saw the high-profile a uh, few days in Arizona where Matthews invited Bunting and, and Marner down for a little uh, uh, workout sessions and a little tennis and uh, fun in the sun. I think there's, I think there's pressure on making sure that uh, the big boys remain happy. And right now it just seems like they're okay with Bunting and based on the, the, the continued uh, chemistry that we saw, on power plays uh, during this exhibition series and Bunting's ability to, to make plays, be in the right place at the right time. I, yeah. I, I, I can't see them breaking that up and then having Matthews look at you going, um, I want to know who my left winger is here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I understand there's some priorities there. By the way, I saw a great tweet today, and credit to whoever it was that, that tweeted it. I don't remember, but they said, uh, Marner dresses like a nine-year-old who found $1,000 on the ground, and that was really tremendous. <laughs> you see some of this, these guys in the interviews of their giant shades, and God, it makes me feel spectacularly old. But uh, yeah, anyway, Jeez. just had to throw that in there. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start telling you, like I told Elliot all those nights uh, doing games with them, you got to get off that social media crap. <laughs> Just entirely. <laughs> I probably should, to be honest. When you're when you're starting to give credit to those types of of of, of, of tweets, that <laughs> <laughs> to me. Now it's time. Now it's time to back off a little you're bit. You're right. That is the pinnacle of the medium, and if it doesn't get better than that, yeah, I'm probably not doing great. <laughs> so any. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, anything else stand out uh, uh, when we talk about uh, uh, the forwards? Are you more, uh, is there any, is there anything at all uh, on defense that, uh, that's striking right now going into uh, game one next week? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's some confidence in the decor that maybe I didn't know that I would have a little while ago because they're going Brody back with Riley, which I think Riley needs that help. He needs a reliable defender with him. You know, Muzzin with Hall and Sandine. Muzzin and Hall got beat up pretty bad uh, by people, by the fan base, and look, they struggled. They deserved a lot of the abuse they got, but one thing they did have going for them, and you'll love this, Kipper, they had an expected goals percentage of 55%. So they were above water in in terms of how they 
you know, where the play was when they were on the ice, even though they gave up more goals than were scored when they were on the ice. The underlying numbers said they weren't such a bad pair. So I like that the, you know, we may see those guys get another crack at it. And I don't know. I, I feel pretty good about the decor, even though I know you got some question about Giordano's ability to maintain the pace. Well, listen, it, it's not, yeah, the pace certainly is uh, an issue at times. I think it, the one goal that stood out for me was, uh, uh, one of the uh, Stutzel's goal where he got behind him and just certain areas where I think the teams can kind of um, challenge uh, uh, Geo on, on, a, on a few occasions, but there's no question that, that what I also have seen throughout training camp is this guy's IQ and just being in the right places at the right time yeah. and uh, an active stick and why he can still have success uh, is certainly there. If, if it's one thing that uh, I've ha- has me a little concerning about that back end, JB, it's, it's I didn't expect to see Muzzin to be in a position where uh, we're talking we're talking about bumps and bruises already, and 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 man, that concerned me and, too. Yeah, he was and, like, yeah, I've had a lot of miles on me. It's like, oh. T- it's day one, man. Taking taking some days off, and w- what does that mean moving forward here, JB? Like, where is that line where what you expect and what you don't, and a very high ticket this year and next year? Yeah. At uh, if I'm not mistaken, five nine. Uh, are we? I don't think that we're in a position now to think about Muzzin as an 80-game guy. So where is Jake Muzzin? Where is his health? And what does that mean to, to, to the overall look of this blue line if Jake Muzzin is going to be one of those guys where uh, you're not sure on any given night if he's going to be in the lineup? Yeah, no, I think underrated story there too, Kipper. It's another one where it's like, this is, he's a key cog. He makes a lot of money. He's one of their few guys you count on for physicality, shot blocking, net front protection, all that stuff. And in training camp, he literally had a quote where he was like, I got a lot of miles on me. I was like, well, okay. He should have had an oil change and a fresh set of tires after the summer. Like, I'm surprised that he's uh, already feeling it a little bit. So definitely some concerns about what he's going to be able to give and where his body is at. I mean, if you're not feeling great already, like who knows if this guy's, I don't know, maybe it's too much abuse at this point. I don't know. We, we will see what he has left to give, Kipper. If by chance there's some stretches where you lose Muzzin, uh, where are you sitting with the rest of the core here? you you got to think that if you're Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan, you you got to start looking outside of your organization to, yep. to beef this thing up, do you not? I hate to say this, but, like, if he's going to get hurt, you'd prefer him to get hurt in a way that you can use the money, you know, on LTIR, and not just a guy who's kind of in and out and in and out and trying to see what he can do and never quite 100%. Like, it, it's a concerning spot for them because he is uh, such an important player. When he's good, it significantly alters how this team plays. We'll definitely keep an eye on that storyline as we get uh, ready for puck drop next week. Uh, In the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. As promised, Kevin Woodley from Ingle Magazine is going to join us after the break, and we'll start getting into some more detail on the Matt Murray-Samsonov one-two punch for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're listening to Real Kipper and Bourne back after these words. 
discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kevin Woodley, as promised, in Goal Magazine, NHL.com. And the guy that's going to tell us whether or not this has got a chance or not to work for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I speak of Samsonov and Matt Murray. Kevin, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm in quarantine right now, so uh, unfortunately the, the COVID is going around again, but uh, surviving here. So if there's a, the throat sounds a little off or there's the odd cough, uh, I apologize in advance, but we'll try and get through this. We're good. Everybody's six feet apart. We're good. You can catch yeah, it. I'm locked the in the basement, so I'm all right. Uh, you know, when you look around the league, uh, there's some pretty intriguing storylines f- between the pipes, uh, and we're going to start with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just your overall surprise, Kevin, of the Leafs doing a complete 180, just not on – Campbell, of course, who's gone on to Edmonton, but just the one-two punch to go completely off the board. Very seldom do you see what's perceived as a Stanley Cup contending team to go fresh two goalies. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think part of it is it's you're totally right, except they're not the only ones, right? Like we saw Washington do the same thing. Um, you know, as a team that has a, a window that I think most would argue, you know, might be close to closing and, and but still considers itself a contender, they completely wiped the slate clean, which is why Samsonov was available in the first place. You know, and I know Colorado still has Pavel Francouz, but, you know, winning a Stanley Cup and changing your number one goaltender for the second straight year. So, um, you know, there's the musical chairs of goaltending has been around for a long time. I just think that this is a continuation of that. And, I, and in Toronto's case, I don't think we should be shocked. Um, I know there was a lot said about bringing Jack Campbell back, but it feels like, uh, you know, early January through mid-February, that run uh, where they were winning, despite the fact that statistically, um, relative to the quality of shots he was facing, Jack Campbell in that period was the worst goalie in the NHL. That seemed to shake the confidence of maybe, maybe not just management, but some of the players in front of him. And so um, to me, this was less a vote of confidence in Jack Campbell, you know, on a game by game basis, so much as are you going to go five years? Are you going to lock in long-term? Like I, I, I think the significance of Matt Murray being and, and Ilya Samsonov being shorter term bets shouldn't be lost here. Uh, if you're going to gamble at the risk of having someone knock on my door in 10 minutes and take away my goalie union card, the one thing I would avoid if I was a general manager, unless I had that small, small group of, you know, truly elite, unquestioned number one goaltenders, I'd avoid term, right? Like, that's the one thing I would avoid. And in terms of, like, and, and listen, I also, like, there's some reasons we get into that, you know, I think I think this could work for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't know that Matt Murray outside of health is as big a risk as a lot of people are making him out to be, especially when I look at you know numbers relative to environment and where Jack Campbell fared over the past two years. This is a guy who graded out by Clearside Analytics in the 30s for two straight seasons, and he did it in different ways. One consistently, and last year where he was a you know arguably worthy 
of Vesna consideration for the first third of the season, had a six-week week stretch where he was arguably the worst goalie in the NHL, and when it all came out in the wash, he was still in the 30s when it came to adjusted save percentage. So um, I like Jack Hamill for a lot of reasons, uh, and I like some of the changes he's made in his game. But am I making a five-times-five bet on that? especially if there's confidence shaken in front of him on my team, probably not. So in the 30s, I assume you mean like league-wide rank amongst goaltenders. Um, Okay, that that makes sense. So you mentioned... Right, yeah. And you mentioned you're not as concerned about the bet on Matt Murray. I think our job here today as hosts is to get your take on both the Leafs goaltenders. And and I think starting with Murray is a good place to go on your expectations. You know, has this guy looked like someone who has the ability and it just hasn't worked for? What are your thoughts on where Murray is headed here? Well, okay, so like last year, like there is risk, but to me, most of the risk with Murray is, is whether he can stay healthy or not. Okay. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a very fair question. When I look at his game, I'll tell you the one thing that drives me nuts, like nuts, and I keep reading it, is can Matt Murray rediscover his form that won two Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins? I hate that statement. Yeah. I hate that question. You know why? Because the way Matt Murray played when he won two Cups with the Stanley or two Cups with the Penguins doesn't work in the NHL anymore. This is why like Matt Murray didn't forget how to play goal, but the way he played goal doesn't translate anymore. The Penguins were one of the premier teams at taking away East-West chances. They practically pioneered the revolution towards, you know, teams actively trying to create more lateral slot line, Royal Road, whatever you want to call them, scoring chances at one end and eliminating them at the other end. Matt Murray played in. He played low, locked in, wide stance, and he got away with it, in part because there are other things he does well, but in part because those were chances the Penguins didn't give up. And as their roster was depleted and the rest of the league caught on to the importance of creating those types of chances, he was more and more exposed. The game is way too fast laterally now for a goaltender to play locked in wide and low in your stance. And, you know, for anybody listening who's trying to figure that out, like imagine get into a goaltending stance, not if you're driving, that's, that's not good, <laughs> but get into a goaltending stance and like stick your legs out way out far, like a real wide, low butterfly. And now try and move. Even without skates on, just try and move left to right. Like it is so much harder to move because you have to, you have to almost pull away from the direction you're moving to disengage that lead skate from that edge that is so dug in. Pull up and away. Now we're moving away from where the puck's going. And then make a push in that direction. Well, because our other leg, our push leg is so far out beside us or out, out away from us, we're already in extension. We don't have a lot of extension left to generate lateral power. Also, the tax uh, on, on our muscles and the fatigue that comes with playing that low and that wide, like it adds up pretty quickly. So when you see a lot of the clips of Matt Murray in Pittsburgh on a lot of the lateral plays when they were shorthanded and they were you know, giving up those chances, watch how many times he goes to his knees when he goes left and right. And nowadays it's all about you have to be able to beat those plays on your skates like, there were a lot of things that needed to change. So, again, like, Matt Murray needs to rediscover his form from Pittsburgh. He maybe needs to rediscover the results, but the way he did it was part of the problem now. And I think what people have missed is that Matt himself started to make these changes during the pandemic when he was still with the Penguins. He actively sought out 
a trainer in Adam Francilia and Kelowna who's worked with guys like Connor Hellebach, Devin Dubnik when he was playing. Like he's got about a dozen NHL goaltending clients. Matt sought him out to start to rebuild the way he moved on the ice and the way he held his stance to try and make these changes himself. That process was supposed to play out in Ottawa when they acquired him. I know the goalie staff knew this was a year-long project. It was not going to be out of the gates. And other members of the organization seemed to lose patience with that. And, again, towards the end of his first season in Ottawa, things started to click. He had a month off there because of an upper body injury. The former goalie coach that was part of bringing him skated him every week, every day for three weeks of that month, and then was fired three weeks into it. You saw coming out of that break, the movement patterns were better. He played better. Then he got hurt. I thought when I look at the adjusted numbers last season, when I look at some of those movement patterns, they've improved. It's just can he stay healthy and can he maintain that new form, that new stance, that new way of moving in Toronto? Um, And I think he has good support in Curtis Sanford. Like there are other things, post-play and elements of his game that need to be sort of updated and modernized. And I think with Curtis Sanford there, you'll see that process play out as well. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot there. Um, but there's reasons that I bet I would, I'm willing to make that bet on Matt Murray, and they aren't that he rediscovers the form that he had in Pittsburgh. Because you can't, like there's goalie coaches that will literally say, too wide, too low, too soon. It doesn't work anymore in the NHL. If you can't move laterally, you can't play. And Matt needed to change the way he moved, the way he holds himself in his stance biomechanically in order to keep up with the modern game east to west. We're joined with Kevin Woodley, In Goal Magazine, NHL.com. We are talking about the battle between the pipes for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Prior to training camp, uh, Dubis did announce to the media, both guys will challenge for the net. You don't buy that, do you? Uh, I mean, I, 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 results like it's a results business, right? So of all the things that I just said, I'm full of crap and it all goes to crap and Matt Murray sucks. Like then Samsonov's going to get more opportunity. I would think at the end of the day too, you know, I think that like, even if you had a workhorse number one, what's the target now? Like I, you know, even here in Vancouver where Demko's emerged as a, you know, I would argue a top five goalie when healthy, he was top four in adjusted numbers until he tried to play through an injury that required surgery at the end of last season. Um, they're talking about 55 games as a target like that number keeps coming down guys so you know whether it's compete for the job or a job share or 1a or 1b or all the labels that we like to talk about you need two and i think when you consider how how little matt's played and 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 the very real questions about his health although i do think some of that comes down to you know some issues with um the staff in ottawa and some misdiagnosis and some treatment issues early on that maybe might lead somebody to not want to play through things pretty quick uh i think that you're going to need both and you're going to see both play a lot i look at Ilya as probably more of a project where some of the changes like matt started these changes a while ago for samsonov there are changes that need to be made and i think he's more willing to make them this is often the problem with goalies that are so highly touted, they're not willing to make changes at their first stop. We saw with Jacob Markstrom in Florida, you know, and then he, even Vancouver took a couple of goalie coaches for him to really buy into, oh, hey, I can't play the way I used to play, even though they called me the number one goalie not in the NHL. Like, I need to make changes here. I think there's an element of that with Samsonov that started three-quarters of the way through last season. I saw changes in his game. He finally bought in, but it was a little too late, too little too late for him there. 
Um, I think it will be something where it might take a while till you get the best out of Samsonov, like a month, month and a half into the season, and you could see him challenge more as it goes on. I'm not sure you'll get the best out of him out of the gate, but like I said, like I'm a big believer in Curtis Sanford as a goalie coach. He's mentored here under Ian Clark, who's one of the best in the game, uh, and some of the technical elements that need to be added to Ilya's game to just sort of uh, it's almost like risk management. Put yourselves in positions at times where you're not exposed. Where if certain things happen, you're just you've got body in net and you're sort of minimizing your risk exposure. There are a lot of elements in there that I think you'll see change, but they're not an overnight thing, right? They might take a little while to become an eight. I wonder about you know looking at a goaltender who's been very good and. I guess the mandatory nature of saying, well, this has to change, you know, they, they need to make this change or whatever. Are there guys who defy the logic and they just stop the puck? I, you know, I, I remember working with Piero Greco in the American Hockey League and I sat beside him. Garrett Sparks would come in and Antoine Bebo and some of those guys. And I'd say to, to Piero, like, you know, what, what about these new technologies and new ways of thinking? He's like, just stop the puck. You know, he was a guy, he's not a new age guy by any means. What are your thoughts on the ability for guys to defy the, all right, that's not technically good, but he just makes a lot of saves? Yeah, I, I mean, hey, listen, Piero's like one of the, one of the you, know, you talk to guys that work with him and like very well regarded and really good goalie coach in the league. And, and he's right, just like at the end of the day, there are guys, you know, like think of, think of the way that Hashik did it, right? Like, and, and then when you got a chance to talk to him, there was always method to the madness, right? Like the old barrel roll that everybody thought was just this, you know, sort of insane reactive thing. Like I remember breaking it down with Dom once and he's like, no, no. I push the blocker out and that forces the forward to pull the puck away. And once his hands are extended, he can't raise it. You know, as a forward, as soon as your hands are way out in front of you, you can't lift it like you normally would. He's like, that buys me time to flip over with my other arm. And then my legs go in the air. And obviously I'm paraphrasing here. Right. And when you look, you look, so Dom's forced a guy into a situation where he can't raise it or he has to pull it back into him to raise it buying Dom time to get into that position, look at the end of the barrel roll. At the end of the barrel roll, Dominic Hasek is an inverted butterfly. His arms are now the legs of a butterfly, and his legs are up in the air where his torso would be. Like, it's, there was method to that madness. Hmm. There is absolutely, you can't just pigeonhole everyone into perfect technique. There are like seven or eight different key elements of goaltending, and every goalie brings or key elements of elite goaltending every goalie brings a different mix of those some of them it's reactive some of it's more technical there is that's what i love about it there is no one way to play this position well that said there are always going to be i look at it in terms of exposure um there's going to be exposure and delays in your movement if you don't do things a certain way, there are ways you can improve movement mechanics in order to increase efficiency. And if you don't have those and you're going to be late to your spots, you're going to be late on pucks. You're not giving yourself a chance to get early eyes, early vision and look off. Like all of those delays will eventually add up to exposure. Are you good enough in other elements, anticipating the game, reading the game, uh, cheating passes because there are your ability to see the way a guy's holding his hands or his hips or his head tells you he's not shooting. Of course, there's ways to make up for all those exposures and inefficiencies. To me, best of both worlds, you've got both, right? You're always trying to build on efficiencies uh, and improve those elements, but you also have to have some of those innate instinctual elements in your game as well. The reality is 
I could give you a perfect technical goaltender. And, and we see this a lot, actually. Goalie school goalies, you know, quote unquote, who look incredible in drill scenarios where they know where that last shot's coming from. And then they get into a game and they don't know what, how to play. Um, you have to have the other element, especially at the NHL level. Just being technically sound isn't enough. But if I can improve the efficiencies that allow me to put all those other tools to use um, in, you know, in a more effective way earlier in scenarios, why wouldn't I try? Kevin, often, uh, you know, when we talk about certain guys, why they can't stick in the NHL, uh, you, you use a term like he's a, a tweener. He's in between. He's in between thinking he's a top six or doesn't know how to be a bottom six. And Samsonov came in with all the the potential to be a star goaltender in the National Hockey League. It just hasn't happened. Uh, he hasn't proven he could he could be a starter in Washington. He hasn't proven he could be a, a, a decent backup. Um, where is he right now at the age of 25? Well, I, I would think sort of like running out of chances to prove it, right? Like the pedigree only gets you so much. But listen, I talk to goalie people around the league, and they see why the pedigree is there. Now, some of the comparisons – that I've heard over the years, I didn't love. Like, like I understand that he was included in that sort of Russian trifecta with Sorokin and, Sh- and Shesterkin. Like, this was the next wave coming out of Russia. And, you know, one's got a Vesna, and frankly, Sorokin in the second half of last season, when I look at the adjusted numbers, was, you know, one of the top goalies, if not the top goalie in the NHL. I expect him to be in the Vesna discussion this year, depending on how the Islanders play in front of him. Um, and, and so Ilya hasn't really risen to that level. I look, but when I break down his game, there are physical limitations. Uh, I look at the narrowness of his butt. Like, he doesn't have the widest butterfly, and that limits things. That limits your recovery. It forces you watch him when plays are in tight in Washington, like, you know, scramble-type plays. You know, he's kind of almost like pinball flippers kicking at things with his pads um, because he doesn't have a natural width to his butterfly. He has to react out with his legs, and this is where we talk about the delays, right? Like, so if I've got to kick out at that puck, like there's a scramble in front of me and someone shoots it low to my left and I have to extend that leg in like that pinball motion, it's not just, you know, it looks like it actually looks like a good, great save as opposed to a guy's just sitting there in a nice deep butterfly and let it to come to him uh, and it hits his pad. That kicking motion also delays my recovery because now after I've extended that leg out, I have to pull it back in and lift my right leg in order to push to my left. So those are the types of I see. I see physical limits in his game um, tied, I believe, to hip mobility. Um, he tends to bend at the waist in his stance rather than lowering with his legs, all things that they will work on there uh, that, that, that limit him like physically compared to the Shesterkins and the Sorokins. So I never really bought him being a part of that group for that reason. That said, there's still a lot of tools a lot of goalie coaches around the league thought this would be a great project. I would love to have him and be the guy that rebuilds him. So there's definitely things there, Nick, um, that say he can succeed. And I do think, you know, again, I, I point to the Markstrom comparison just because I know it so well. Jacob was kind of regarded in, in similar fashion in terms of the expectations for him and where he was drafted when he was in Florida. The goalie coaches in Florida weren't idiots. They could see, just as I could see when he was in the American Hockey League, I couldn't believe where he played. Like, he was so aggressive. He was so far out. And he's so freaking big. It's like, why are you moving that much? 
why do you put yourself in a position where you have to open up such big holes? Like that's the reality of big, the bigger the goalie, the bigger the holes, right? Like there is a sweet spot in terms of size as we push towards six, 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 seven, like we're outside of that sweet spot. You have to overcome being big and certain things. And Jacob was doing all kinds of things that didn't make any sense from the outside. And, and the people in Florida weren't stupid. They could see it too. But this is a guy who had succeeded that way. Convincing him to try something different wasn't easy. I remember when he came to Vancouver after the first year, Roly Melanson pulled him right back in into the blue ice, which is one of the one of Roly's staples. We always have to have blue ice in front of our toes. And it worked to an extent. Like, there were more changes to come, but it, it created more success. And Jacob admitted to me at the end of the season, his first response to being asked to move back in the crease was, well, you guys just traded for me. Why do you want to change me? Like, even after being traded. And I think, you know, knowing what happened in Washington and knowing the process there, there was an element of resistance to change or complete buy-in up until about two-thirds of the way through last season. And so, you know, I think in Toronto, you're getting a goalie who maybe for the first time really realizes that there are some elements that are going to have to adapt and change the way he did it is not necessarily going to work as well as it did before he arrived in the NHL. And that, you know, that's what often we see goalies take longer, right? Like sometimes it's because they don't get a teacher. They don't get the voice that clicks with them or a concept that clicks with them. Look at Charlie Lindgren with the Montreal Canadiens. Like for, he didn't even get in, in the, in the pandemic year when we were bleeding through goalies left, right and center, he didn't even get an NHL start. He goes to St. Louis last year, has a breakthrough year in the AHL, Post a 9.52 in five games with the Blues, what happened? There was a change in voices. I'm not saying it's not like the goalie coaches in Montreal were bad, but there was a new concept introduced to him in terms of movement, uh, especially off the rush, narrower stance, not as much of the glide straight back stuff that we were talking about earlier. Um, elements that just clicked with him. Sometimes we don't get that vo- the right voice for the right goaltender until later on in their development. Sometimes we don't get a goaltender who's willing to listen to a different voice until they've failed. I find that tends to happen more often with the highly touted guys. And I think there's a chance, I'm not saying Ilya Samsonov is the next Markstrom and expect a Vezina in the next couple of years. I, I still don't quite see the same physical tools, but there's a chance that I believe you're getting Samsonov in that sort of window of his career. And he just didn't get there soon enough. Well, with the Washington Capitals and maybe I think he did get there. So like, I don't, I, that's why I was a little surprised they moved on him. Cause I did see some changes, but I think you're just getting a guy who's more ready uh, and willing to make all the changes he needs than maybe they had in Washington for the last couple of years. And it's not as uncommon as you think. We will keep an eye on this story. Kevin, thanks for doing this. Uh, my pleasure. Got through with the lozenges, no coughing. I appreciate you guys putting up with the voice. <laughs> thanks, Kevin. Wow. Kevin Woodley. JB, you still here? Maybe you went and made a sandwich while... I'm here, buddy. I know I'm now a smarter <laughs> goaltender analyst. This is awesome. Wow, could that guy talk a pit bull off a meat wagon? That was a ton of information. That was. That was great. And we got another goalie after the break, Andrew Raycroft. We're going to talk a little Bruins. Sammy's favorite team outside of the Toronto Maple Leafs. After the break, Andrew Raycroft and Alan May, my former teammate, and I am now in D.C. getting ready for a Washington Capitol alumni weekend. We'll get into that with Alan May all after the break. Real Kipper and Bourne, plenty more to come. 
Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne. We're going to stick with the old goaltender. This is Andrew Raycroft will be joining us in a few minutes. Kevin Woodley, of course, breaking down what he sees in net for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And JB, it was always my experience with goalies. They are either quieter than a church mouse or they can't shut up. <laughs> One of the two. Which ones go into radio, do you think, Kipper? <laughs> <laughs> That's, so we got Woodley. We'll get Raycroft on here. You know, oh Mike McKenna. Gosh. Mike McKenna's Mike a McKenna. talker. I had, uh, I had a good run there where Mike Richter and, and Glenn Healy both. Oh, my God. In, in New York. Um, and, you know, the one thing, though, if you're going to have a chatty goalie, they got to be funny. Like there's nothing worse than a chatty goalie who's not funny. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But usually they are funny. If a, I, I imagine Ilya Brizgalov could have had a longer career if he, uh, I don't know, knew when to talk and when not to a little bit more. So it's clear uh, as far as Kevin Woodley is concerned that uh, he does have a lot of faith uh for the goaltending situation in Toronto there. Mm -hmm. He does not, doesn't see a, a big drop off. I, I don't either, uh, JB, uh, when it comes to, I think just knowing that Matt Murray has struggled over the, the last few years, no question about it, but we're not dealing with a guy who's 34, 35. He's still, he's still in his wheelhouse here right. at age 28, yeah, no, for sure. And I actually thought this stuff on Samsonov was interesting that he thinks that they won't get the best out of him for, you know, six weeks type of thing, you know, a little into the season once he's worked on, made some of his changes. So, I mean, there's reasons to be vaguely encouraged about that. I think if you're a Leaf fan, you, you have to believe that the Leafs didn't go into this just going, well, Kyle knows him from the Sioux. So, you know, like there's some deeper thought that went into this and, and the reason that they believe in in these guys. So, a couple of bets. What else can you do but make a couple of bets and cross your fingers? Yeah, we're going to have Andrew Raycroft join us uh, momentarily. And, of course, we're going to talk about the Boston Bruins and their goaltending situation as well. Swayman, Allmark. Allmark came in really with the thought of, of I think, being their number one goaltender. Why else do you pay a guy $5 million dollars? Uh, to come in to your organization. That hasn't necessarily been the case. Um, certainly was an easier sell for the Edmonton Oilers to pay a guy like Jack Campbell five million bucks when the Allmark's getting it in, in Boston. Right. But th there are some interesting one-two punches, uh, particularly when it comes to battling it out in the Atlantic for the Toronto Maple Leafs. The other one that, that really strikes out for me, JB, is the one in Florida with Bob, uh, goalie Bob Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight yeah. who's looking at a brand-new contract uh, over $4 million. And I'm like, like you're making 4 and $5 million. 
you're you're expecting to play most nights, are you not? Well, that is an interesting scenario they've got going on there. I tweeted this morning a little bit of skepticism about the Florida Panthers. Their decor is not that great. You know, it's uh, it's not awesome. And then you look at the goaltending, and you kind of don't feel like you know what you're going to get from Bob, who's making a bajillion dollars. And then, yeah, you're paying Spencer Knight that much money. I wonder if something's got to give there. I wonder if they, you know, they, they don't want to spend $14 million a year in their crease at some point, depending on how good the goaltending is. But I, I don't know. I don't have a ton of confidence. Do you? At, at that type of money, man, you better be yeah. knocking on the door of a Vesna and Spencer Knight to me is, you know, you look at Demko in Vancouver, you see Jake Ottinger in Dallas, and I gotta think he's he's going in that direction that this will be his net, and they they're gonna have right. to figure out how to how to get uh, goalie Bob's cash off the books here, but. Uh, Easier said than done. He's got th- you know, four seasons at ten million per, if you include the I one know. ahead. I know uh, the whole goaltending look in the National Hockey League and how it's, and maybe we'll we'll talk about uh, in in the second hour here. Uh, Alan Mays coming off. They've got Camper now in Washington, but it's almost as if the bar's been lowered for all of these guys. And yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, you'd love to be a, a Vasilevsky scenario, but they're so far and few now, aren't there? Yeah. You know, if you go down the list of player or goaltenders that you fully trust that you would commit big money to for the season ahead, Vasilevsky's on it. I think Shesterkin earned that with his play last year. You know, beyond that, man, I, it, it gets pretty tight. Freddie Anderson's had some wonderful regular seasons, but not sure you trust him heading into the postseason. So, not a ton of names. It is a uh, changing position where there's a lot of guys who feel like they can be adequate um, if they're in the right situation. But it's tough to know the you know who's that much better than the next guy, and can't guarantee it's going to be anyone. Will we ever see uh, eleven, twelve million dollar goalies again? Would uh, Shesterkin seems to be one, but uh, the Rangers have some time. Uh, I think two years before they even have to worry about that, but. You know, those two years kind of sneak up on everybody right. uh, moving forward here, especially with your big boys. And there is talk now, and, and the, the NHL's leaking out. There's there's light at the end of the tunnel for the players and their salaries. Talk about three years from now, the cap going up as much as 5 to $7 million. But is the thought that you want to take that money and spread it out over uh, – you know, top to bottom of your roster, or are we just assuming that uh, the stars will eat that all up when it comes to renewing, uh, i.e. Matthews in Toronto, yeah. i.e. Shesterkin in a, a few more years. Is is there a worry here that the bottom feeders will not partake in that bump up. That's just for the big boys. Well, you know, certainly in Toronto, it seems like Kyle Dubas has state, you know, kind of staked his claim for how he believes the teams can have success in the NHL. And that's with superstars. And then I don't want to say the dregs of the league, but the, you know, but then cheap guys, you know, the, the stars and scrubs mentality. It's another thing someone mentioned on Twitter earlier today, but the, the idea like Lou Lamorello, if you look at the Islanders, they got 
I don't know, eight guys between three and a half and five and a half million, all these middle class guys. Well, the, the Leafs are all in on their big boys. So if there's a bump, well, that goes to Matthews next deal. That goes to, you know, Martyr or Nylander, or those guys next deals. I, I do think in Toronto, you got to get those guys paid first to keep them. And once you've kept them, you know, if there is some scraps that fall under the table for everyone else, they'll get devoured up pretty quick. Well, what's one thing that uh, we haven't seen so far is uh, the Boston Bruins devour up uh, what has worked for them in the past. In fact, they're going they're going back to the well one more time. So let's welcome in uh, Andrew Raycroft, of course, Bruins analyst and co-host of the Morning Brew podcast. Uh, first of all, Andrew, thanks for joining us, man. And you ready to go here? Are you letting summer go? Letting summer go, Kipper. Yeah, good. To, thanks for having me on. I, I'm playing a round of golf this week, and then that'll be it. So uh, I'm I'm saying sayonara to it and, and ready to get the season going. <laughs> but when you look at the roster uh, that uh, the Bruins are coming back with, it's like repeat and play here. You don't have to change your tune too much, do you? No, no. It has, I haven't had to do too much homework this summer, so that has been kind of nice. It's just... Uh, sprucing back up on the on the oldies like David Krejci and, and just kind of where they're going to put everybody. It, you know, there's just a uh, some question marks in the early gro- in the early going for this group. What are your thoughts on on how they're going to cope with some of these injuries? You're, you know, it's going to be an interesting start to the year without McAvoy and without Marchand and, and Grizzlick, I believe, as well. How, how do you forecast the early going for this uh, Bruins team? And there's urgency. There, there is more urgency early in the season. Uh, there's going to be need to have some guys step up in a, in a big way. Certainly on the back end without McAvoy and Grizzly, and then of course with, with a new coach and Jim Montgomery and what kind of style or what kind of little small changes. It's not it's not an overhaul with this group. Uh, like you said, they've been around for so long and play a certain way for so long. But with a new coach, there's always little wrinkles and little details that they have to add in. So. Uh, with those guys out, though, there's a lot of urgency here early in the season. They can't get behind the eight ball and got to find ways to win early in the season. Andrew, we've uh, got a bit of a goalie theme going on today. Uh, we got to talk about the Bruins between the net. We've dissected the Leafs and, and uh, the Florida Panthers a little bit here. Uh, Swayman, Allmark, really was built up for Allmark's net at this point. Uh, where is this tandem uh, moving forward for the Bruins? Well, I think they feel really good about both guys. I think it's still a little bit of work in progress. There's certainly no number one uh, that, that's been anointed. I did think it was interesting that Swayman played last night. seems like Allmark's going to get the full game Saturday, which is typically the, the starter's game. But uh, they're going to go back and forth. And you see it all around the league. And you guys see it in Toronto now picking up the two new guys they did. You need two guys. You need both of them playing. The game's just too hard for goaltenders, other than the the big cat down in Florida to play 60 times a year. Yeah, it can be an important position for that Boston team this year. I guess I wanted to throw back to, you mentioned uh, Krejci and some old, uh, you know, Bergeron's back at it. Can you kind of walk us through Krejci's return? Like, why he left? Why he's back? Did it have something to do with Cassidy? Is that fair to say? I, I I don't get that sense. I think I the the sense I got talking to David is with COVID last year. We forget that COVID was still a big deal in the NHL a year ago. I think there was a little bit of just unsure of how the season was going to go. And at that age, he took advantage of being able to go over. I also think that 
he had a sense that if he did go, he would still have an opportunity to come back. And, and he's taken advantage of that. And let's watch him in practice. And, and the fact that he's going to play with David Pasternak, there's, there's an energy there. You saw it last night in Madison Square Garden. The guys were plus four. They were dominant. And it's looked like that in practice. Krejci hasn't lost a step. Hockey's so easy for that guy. He's out there moving around. He reads the play so well. He's ahead of everything, even though he's a year older and, and one year out of the NHL. Is there any sense at all in Boston that uh, when, when it comes to their management team that anyone's going, let it go, it's over, it was a nice run, let's move on, why are we going back to the well here? No, I don't get that sense because, listen, you're talking about Patrice Bergeron just won another Selkie, by the way, one of the best four. Like, so you're talking about guys that can still play. And they're not just rolling out guys that won, you know, 10, 15 years ago for the sake of ceremony. Patrice Bergeron can still play hockey at a high level. David Krejci can still play hockey at a really high level. So I don't, I don't think they see it that same way. They, they see these guys as being really important guys. And, yes, they're a little bit older. And, yes, they're on one-year contracts. But they're, they've been here so long that these one-year deals are similar to Ones that you see, you know, we saw older guys signing in past years where I'm just going to go year to year, but I know I'm always got a deal. I know that I've always got it in place. So I don't see it. The management thinking that they're just rolling it out for the sake of selling a few more season tickets. These guys want to win and they think this is their best chance to win with, with Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci as their top two centermen. When you look around the Atlantic Division, like Tampa probably got a little worse, right? They lost uh, Palat and McDonough and Florida lost like seven guys, pretty good players. The Leafs moved on from a couple decent players. How, where do you forecast Boston's spot heading into this season? You know, surely a playoff team, but better than that? Well, I think like those two, like Toronto, like all these teams have question marks. And the East is so difficult this season with Columbus getting better and Ottawa getting better that they see themselves as a playoff team. But to, you know, to say that they're going to get 115 points, I think that's a little unrealistic, especially with the injuries early on. So I think all the Eastern teams know that they're in for a grind and, and the Bruins are are in that boat, but I do see them getting in the playoffs. I do see them challenging and, and figuring out how to play with each other. Don't forget Hampus Lindholm as well. Another guy that added at the deadline last year and only played eight regular season games, but the team got 107 points last year. And basically they have Krejci Lindholm addition from that a year ago. So I think they feel like they're in a good spot, but they know how tough the East is going to be. Like, you know, Toronto's going to be better. I, with Matt Murray and goal, I think they're going to be better than they were last year. So there's, there's a difficult two points every night in the Eastern Conference. We're talking to Andrew Raycroft, Bruins analyst. Uh, no question there's still some, uh, some juice to be squeezed out of their star players. But as far as the foot soldiers go, I look at this roster and you probably not familiar names to Leaf fans over those battles uh, in the playoffs in, in, in recent years past, but Hulla, uh, you know, even uh, Lazar, uh, were they able to, to, to take those key minutes? And one guy that really was a Leaf killer was that Sean Corrali. And I know yeah. when you look at, when you look at uh, Razor, when you look at third and fourth liners, it's easy to sit there and go, they're interchangeable. 
But to me, they never replaced Sean Corrales' uh, minutes or, or, or the impact that he's had when it came to those depth guys. Yeah, they they had Thomas Nosek in that fourth-line center last year, and he just wasn't able to score. And that was the difference. That's what the Corrales did. Had those big goals in Game 7 or the big goals at the right time for this team. And they, they do miss that, and I think they're hoping that they fill that. A.J. Greer's had a really good camp. Um, they've had more competition in the bottom six, and they also need more from, from a Charlie Coyle and a Craig Smith. Those guys had a tough playoff last year, and, and I think that's part of that coaching change too. Do they get, get some juice out of that? New, new voice behind the bench, new opportunities. So what about, you know, talking about guys at the fringes, this whole Jake DeBrus thing that was like, this guy's definitely getting traded, and then he's good, and then they keep him, and now he's just a Bruin again? What's going on here? Yeah, that's it. So it's top line right winger, maybe <laughs> yeah, a left no winger for now until Marshawn comes back. Play with Bergeron, play with play with Marshawn, a couple Hall of Famers. So, yeah, so the, the, the reality is there was a, a bit of a personal issue with, with Bruce Cassidy, and now that he's gone, that, that seems to be all wiped away. The trade request is rescinded, and and Jake's a happy guy again. So uh, definitely an interesting situation, but he did play well at the end of last season when he was bumped up. He did uh, stick it through, and, and I think the guys in the room ha- have looked past it and, and realized he's here and he's a Bruin, and he can help the team and help himself by playing really well this season. All right, Razor, you're the perfect guy for this because uh, ex-NHL goaltender, at the beginning of the show, we were talking about the Leafs going up to Muskoka to, to you know, get away from it all and uh, bonding. And J- uh, JB tells me, no, the bonding's over for the Leafs, right? They're they're ready to go. And I'm like, no, they got two new goalies. Uh, uh, they got to get to know each other. They got to, you know, figure this thing out. Um, and I- is it important? Where were you with your relationship? If you didn't know your goalie going into a season, how important was that that you guys kind of felt each other out? And in this particular case with the Leafs, the, the, there was certainly the perception at the beginning of the year that these guys were were fighting for the number one job. So, how important is it that uh, you know a guy like Matt Murray and Samsonov, you know, get to know each other or? or uh, you know, get to get a, get a, a song and dance here. It's really important, and I think just as just as important as those two getting along are, are two new goalies getting along with the new guys. And it is an important time in camp where all the cuts are made, the waiver wire goes through, and you get down to all the guys on the ice at one time and getting to know the personalities. But back to the goalie relationship. You want them to compete, but you need them to like each other just enough that the competition is fair and fun and, and everyone's happy at the end of the day. And they both recognize that when the team wins, whoever's in net, it's going to be better for both of them going forward, especially Sam Sonoff, who's on his one-year deal. He's got to be on a winning team. He's got to be around come playoff time. He's got to have a winning record to, to move on to the next group uh, that wherever he wants to sign next. So it is important for those two guys to get along and, and you guys, you guys know it more than anything. Toronto market can fracture teams as well as anyone and fracture goalies. So that, that, I, that camaraderie, that relationship has to be really strong because, you know, there's going to be a couple losses in a row and the goalie controversy is going to pop right up on uh, afternoon radio. Oh, for sure. So hold, hold on for a second. You said you, you made a, uh, an interesting comment uh, mo- uh, moments ago uh, when it's fair. When is it not fair? <laughs> 
<laughs> when is it? When is it? Uh, uh, hold on for a second. Um, yeah, y- you need to back off here. Or you need to like you know shut up. <laughs> well, I think when what sometimes when you're going into a situation, someone's given the job or someone's given more starts despite results, then then that can get a, a little contentious. I I would say at times. So, you, you, again, you need to have an understanding of what the roles are, just like a third-line role or a fourth-line role, where those guys are, and that's, that's part of the communication both with the goaltenders together and, and with the coaches. Okay, so uh, it doesn't seem to me like the roles have been established in Toronto. I think uh, Kyle really set it up where both guys are coming in and, you know, it's up for grabs, man. We're, we're monitoring you daily. How about that? I love that, and, and I think I, I agree with you 100%. I think the, the Leafs are in a position where they, they both they have the luxury of doing that because they have so many guys that can score goals, and they're going to win games off of that alone. But they're also in a position where they need to figure it out, and, and they need one of these guys to win a playoff series for them. And, and it's going to be day-to-day. It's going to go all the way down right into April on, on who the guy is. So. For both guys, it's it's massively important to to have that consistency because I think that's the biggest thing in Toronto and for that team is one of those guys, if not both, have to be consistent and no soft goals, no no easy nights off, just being rock solid on a daily basis. Razor, always good to get an outside take. One last question for me here: Your thoughts on the Toronto Maple Leafs, their off season, and what what to expect this season ahead? No, I, I I think they've gotten better in goal. I, I really wow. do. I think that, that I think that Matt Murray is going to have a great season. I think the relationship that he has with Kyle Dubas, with John Elkin, with that organization, going all the way back to junior, is going to benefit him. And having a guy like Samsonov pressuring and and you know trying to get after him and get those starts. So I, I think they're better. And of course, the guys up front are electric. So. Uh, I, I see them being in the same similar position they were last year where they have to, they'll be in the playoffs and, and they got to find a way to win four games. Hey, Andrew, we're going to be leaning on you a lot uh, this season. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. Love it, guys. Thanks. Enjoy the afternoon. Thank you. See what's happening here under a short period of time. Everyone uh, believes in lot, that, Murray. A, a lot of people now coming on board. Uh, on on feeling a little bit more comfortable with Matt Murray. And I mean, it's the exhibition games. Nobody cares. It's river hockey, but it's still not stopping people from starting to come over a little bit. I will say, you know, I think back to my initial tweets when I heard they signed Matt Murray and I was just like, whoa, you know, like this screams analytics people trying to overthink a situation. Matt Murray, not that good anymore. I remember thinking and, I don't know if it's the Stockholm syndrome of talking about the Leafs all year, but I've talked myself into Matt Murray. I'm like, this guy, this guy's going to bounce back for sure. I'm sold. I don't wow. know. I know. I know. You know what's coming next, eh? Uh, Malgin. <laughs> you know. Malgin jersey if, next show. If, if you if, if if you're buying into Matt Murray now, it's only a matter of time before you're all in on Malgin. Wow. I, uh, I hope I don't swing that far. I, uh, <laughs> you can talk me into Murray, the Mulligan thing. I still don't see it. Well, it's, uh, it's certainly shaping up to be uh, an interesting one here, but uh, 
I, I think the fact, and we're going to get into this with Alan May, who's coming up uh, momentarily. It just seems to me that it would have been unheard of years ago where a Stanley Cup championship team uh, loses their goaltender the following year. And it would have been like the roof caving in on, on many of these organizations in mm-hmm. years past. And now it's just like, uh, yeah, uh, we'll move on. Yeah. They, Colorado's like, yeah, Kemper was all right. Uh, he did the job. I think he had a 906 save percentage, something like that. Fran, Pavel Frenzos was a 908. And uh, I think he won seven of the eight games he played. Like Colorado just outscored their problems. There is, it really does feel like the era of goaltending has moved to, you just need someone capable. If you have someone great, amazing, but you just need someone who doesn't give games away. Do the Leafs have that? We do not know that answer yet. I, I, I look at uh, the Colorado Avalanche Stanley cup favorites again. Would you, is that, is that, are they back in the mix with everybody else or are we putting them ahead of everyone else after their, their championship run. Yeah, no, I think they're the favorites, Kipper. Uh, you know, I you do, I do, I do, but I still, I don't think they're as good as they looked last year going into the season. Well, so JB, they, they have no second centerman, right? They lost Kadri yeah. and they have not replaced them. That is a bigger hole for me than maybe, you know, Kemper gone. It's a big one. It's a big one for sure. And, you know, they that was a huge advantage of theirs, having a guy like that to roll out farther down the, the lineup. And, yeah, those this is the thing. Everyone in the salary cap area, you get squeezed. You can't hang on to everyone you want and you like. And that's just the, the reality of the game. Uh, good teams get worse and bad teams get better. And parody, parody, parody. Well, parody, parody, parody. Or, you know, we're just accustomed to maybe the bar being lower. Yeah. Right? The bar is just lower for all teams that you can have holes. You you don't have to be great. Um, in the Blue Jays case, you get to celebrate like you've won a championship when you've really won nothing at all. <laughs> the, the, the bar is lower. Well, I think the bar is lower in the NHL because, yeah, because you see teams like the Blues win a cup and it's like, yeah, as long as you're okay and you hang around enough, you got a chance. The 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 Major League Baseball celebrating everything is, it's a lot. It's a lot, but we're not allowed to say no. that we think it's too much or people say we're no fun and all those things. But this one was really weird because it didn't come off uh, even a clinching game. It was like... Uh, we're going to celebrate next Friday. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're uh, tomorrow. Yeah. We're going to just play and then we'll do, we'll celebrate the following day. Yeah. If you got to have four champagne showers one. to, to win the championship, you're, you're sham- showering in champagne too much. That's my, my two cents. Well, and again, it's like, can you imagine like NHL teams doing that for making the playoffs? Well, and here's where people are going to say, well, they should, and it's because we're no fun, and they should enjoy the success they had in the season. It's worth it and all that stuff, right? We're the bad guys here. Get off, get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. We, well, it's participation ribbons here Yeah, right, for your celebrations. Yeah, you made the wild card game. <laughs> Champagne for everyone. It seems a little excessive. Well, well, they'll have plenty of time to celebrate for real uh, after the weekend. Does it go? Uh, so it's a best of three right, at home, yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah, that's it, buddy. Best of three at home. Here we go. Pack that uh, Rogers Center. It's rock and roll. 
And what about our, our former pitcher, uh, Rob Ray? Do we see him in game two? I sure hope so. Surely for entertainment value. All, all I know is I heard Kevin Barker at sign off say something to Jeff Blair, like, let's let it sing or let it sing in an awesome accent. That's how I want to go into the game. Just let's let it sing boys. Nice. Here we go. Nice. So as far as our show today is concerned, you mentioned off the top of it, uh, I am in Washington. I've been invited by the Washington Capitals to come in uh, for uh an alumni weekend. I'm not really sure what's going on. We've got Alan May, who's one of the ringmasters here uh, for the Capitals when it comes to the alumni. He's going to join us uh, coming up in a few minutes. He's going to be telling me where he's taking me, what what's going on. Uh, but I am in uh, OV territory here in, in DC. And uh, before we get Alan May's thoughts on the Washington Capitals, uh, here's a team we just spent uh, talking about the Boston Bruins on hanging on or going to your old veterans still here. Can we see OV pushing for another 40, 50 goals season? He's not ready to slow down, is he? I, I mean, if I say every single year he's going to finally slow down, I have to eventually be right unless he's an actual alien. So I think he's going to slow down. I think you were looking at a 40 goal season from Ovechkin. Um, but I, I am long time. This is like one of the things I'm wrongest on in my analyst career is Ovechkin and slowing down. So I'm just dumb at this point. Oh man. And then there's this thought about, uh, you know, where, where's Backstrom, uh, in, in this whole equation, is it trying to, get his contract off the books is it waiting him out to get healthy on an injury that really a lot of people i talk to is is it's just unrealistic to say that he could ever get back his health to hold his to hold his game a uh, lot of question marks for the washington capitals we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to bring back alan may to talk about that and what's in store for me here in dc this coming weekend. You're listening to Real Kipper and Born. We're back after these words. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kiprios, Justin Bourne, joining us now former Washington Capitol great and my alumni leader this weekend Alan May May hey, sir, what's up Can you, how are you buddy just uh I'm just getting ready man it's got a happy hour tonight a big dinner and uh I'm making sure I've got I've got everything taken care of before then Looking forward to it. <laughs> so what do you got me doing all weekend here? I mean, I'm sitting in the, uh, the lobby of a hotel. My room isn't ready, but uh, uh, the hotel's done an amazing job of finding me a nice little quiet area here. And uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. I got you and the show for another 15 minutes, and then I'm all yours. What do you got me doing? <laughs> well, uh, eating and drinking and drinking and eating and mostly drinking, but... Uh... You know, at nighttime, and then we've got we've got a huge fun, we've got a huge fundraiser Friday with uh, about 25 alums that uh, a lot of guys that we've flown in from overseas uh, that don't typically get come back over to North America for these events. And 
then we have with that fundraiser, we have a bunch of current capitals and the entire coaching staff will be there. So it's going to be a really good time. We've been doing the last few years, we've been doing bourbon and cigar uh, events on the rooftop, but you know what? It, it, it kind of restricts the crowd to who comes when you got a lot of the cigars flowing and I'm not a cigar guy myself. So I, I'm more of a, a beer vodka. I should say whiskey since I promo whiskey for Jack Daniels here in the United States. But anyways, uh, and, and since I live in Texas, I'm a tequila guy, but, uh, and then we got a hockey clinic Saturday uh, and a, like maybe a little bit of a fantasy hockey clinic as well. And then, Saturday night, we've got uh, just a game and get to hang out at the arena. JB, we usually like our cigars on the golf course, right? Yeah, you know, the uh, it sounds like just a simple beer, whiskey, vodka, tequila uh, type of guy and a couple of cigars. But yeah, I do enjoy those on the golf course a little bit. A little open air there. Um, so then uh, I'll ask you, Alan, what, what are the odds for this Capitals team of getting some cigars at the end of the season, getting to celebrate again? <laughs> Do you like this Capitals team as they head into it? Ooh, well, I'll tell you, I like, <laughs> I, I like, I like them more than I liked them last year. Okay. And I thought last year they they were going to be in it tough to make the playoffs, not having Nick Backstrom uh, to start the season. And then, you look at, there was like 11 or 12 rookie players that got their first point on the Capitals last year. They basically used every forward for the Hershey Bears, their American Hockey League uh, affiliate. And I, I look at this year, it's been a great addition with Dylan Strom coming in. And he really picked it up last year. And You know, for some guys, when they struggle as draft picks, their career really doesn't start until they get traded. And, you know, he looked like he was comfortable in Chicago and last year he fit in so well to Brinkett and Kane and everyone say, well, anyone can put up points with those guys, but that's not true because uh, Kipper and I played with some really, really good players and we never put up any points. So uh, I, I just look at Dylan Stroman and Connor Brown, hey, like Connor Brown. I can't believe the Leafs let him go years ago. Uh, I, I think maybe they would have won a Stanley cup if they would have stuck with that roster. They had the year they, played the Capitals and just kept working on their defensemen, uh, Freddie, Freddie Anderson. And that. But Connor Brown will be the ice time leader of the Capitals this year. And I think they've added more depth. And Lars Eller won't have to babysit uh, two teenagers or two 20-year-olds all season long. He'll be able to have that third line uh, ready and rocking. And, you know, the, the goaltending situation here, uh, there's no more blaming the goalies by the, you know, whether it's a coaching staff or the media they shouldn't be able to blame the goaltenders anymore because the two young guys who really aren't that young are gone. Maisie, I, I, I blame Dale Hunter for us not having more points in our careers because we had a, we had one great chance to in New York city at Madison square garden and he couldn't get the puck out of our own zone. <laughs> I was, I jumped, I changed right away. That wasn't me. No, but the, uh, <laughs> Well, the pro- the problem when we played with him is that we were message sent. We were message sending, and our- it's pretty hard to score a goal when your stick is lying on the ice, and <laughs> and and you can't and you can't punch a puck in the net. So you know you, you have those situations. So uh, it could have been a really good line had it been used properly, rather than just go out and create mayhem every single shift. Okay, one of the key storylines for the Washington Capitals going into this season is that there is uh, an expectation, or at least Nick Backstrom intends to play at some point this season, but he's coming back off undergoing a left hip surgery where seldom do players come back from. So which one is it, Alan? 
Well, here, here's the thing. I think the only player that was ever, ever able to come back from that was at, uh, Ed Jovanovsky and he made me came back and played 34, 35, 36 games. So right now, you know, it's not looking like it's in Nick's favor. He had the surgery over in Belgium. I don't know what they do different over there. His rehab has gone well. He's been in pain since 2016 and it finally just caught up to him at the end of, uh, you know, that shortened 56 game season. And last year, you know, they had to take care of it, and, and he just, they tried everything outside of surgery. Uh, so I would say right now uh, that the Caps would be a buyer for a top-tier centerman near the trade deadline because I, I really think that the dangerous thing is for him to try to come back during the season. Uh, maybe you pull a, you know, do what Tampa had to do. You know, just wait till you're 110% ready and, and bring guys back in the playoffs. And Nick's a proud guy. The biggest thing, though, he's just talking about, man, he's able to pick his kids up. He's able to tie his shoes. He wasn't able to do that. Yeah. And there are stories of teammates having to untie and tie his skates. So, you know, this guy, every single player to a man will tell you it was tough watching him try to get ready for the games that he played in last year. And for me to see him just walk in the hallway uh, on game night, just like, in, like walk out of the dressing room in his shoes to warm up in his running shoes, I was like, oh, my God. I, and I just felt horrible watching him walk. So hopefully, first and foremost, he gets back to that and then decides, you know, after all this, you know, tedious and arduous rehab that, you know, it's still possible. But at some point, I think the body will tell him yay or nay uh, on whether he's able to come back. But right now, I'm going to go in the nay category and say it's tough call for this season. What about Tom Wilson and his expected timeline? When, when should they have him back? I would expect, well, remember, players lie when, you know, I played my whole career hurt and I, I lied about every time. How are you feeling? Oh, great. Yeah. But usually there was something broken or something wrong or separated. And a lot of guys go through that. And, and I would wait on Wilson. He's, I wouldn't be surprised if he was ready to come back in November, but I, I would say you got to wait late December, January. And uh, the team, when he comes back, I think it's going to be such a huge boost for the roster here. He scares the living daylights out of defensemen in the National Hockey League. He's got a great skill set as far as making plays uh, with his stick now, with his legs, making the right play, uh, a key power play guy on the second unit, a key, more importantly, five-on-five five and penalty kill. He's one of the Cavs' best in both situations. So that, that's going to be huge when they get him back. But they are starting without him. But I think that's where Connor Brown uh, is really going to take advantage of that ice time playing with Kuznetsov and Ovechkin, and he's such an incredibly smart player. But, uh, you know, I always look at Wilson. I think, you know, they, they boo him, they hate him when the Caps go to the Leafs, but I, I think the, the Leafs would be able to win a Stanley Cup if he was patrolling their right wing. We're joined by Capitals, Capitals analyst Alan May. Uh, Backstrom out, OV a year older, but he's still coming off an incredible uh, 50 last year. Uh, no Backstrom, a year older, puts it a, a little harder this year to come and, and, and score another 50? Uh, I'm never going to doubt the guy until, you know, he doesn't put up the numbers. And I, I remember years ago, there was a guy, one of the Hockey Night in Canada uh, analysts, he wrote a blog, and I was like, what the hell is this guy thinking? He said it was time for the Caps to get rid of Ovechkin, it was when they were incredibly horribly coached. And then they come in here and Barry Trotz tries to take ice time away from him, say, oh, we're going to cut his minutes. And he was down to 32 or 33 goals with TJ Oshie. And everyone said he's slowing down. Well, 
that was a result of not being on the ice enough. And, and, and the plan didn't work. They didn't win the Stanley Cup, so they let him get back to, to playing his game. I still expect him to be able to get 50. I, I, I never doubt this guy. Um, you played with some great players. There's just some guys that are competitive spirit. Uh, this guy trains like a madman during the offseason. He's completely tra- changed his training regimen since about 2017. And uh, he, he's more agile. He's, a big, he's a, such a big body. He's not hitting as much because he's not running around the ice trying to get the big hit in the right winger's corner when he's playing the left side. He's way more defensive now. Uh, he's not a Selkie Award winner, but I don't want him to be. I didn't want Wayne Gretzky to be there. You know, he has to still provide the offense. The shot will never go away. And as long as he can shoot the puck, he's got a chance to win 50, score 50. Well, another guy who interests me on that team who can score goals is Anthony Manta. I mean, he scored like a goal a game one year in junior. He's six foot 38 or whatever his height is. He's a big guy. He scores like what are expectations for him? Is it just a matter of staying healthy to be as effective as he can be? Well, you, you obviously you want him to stay healthy, Justin. And I, and I knew you were going to go that way with, with your question, but you know, to me, he needs a kick in the ass. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. Know, a, a lot of times there's not, like last year in the playoffs, I look, you know, he, he was totally physically adrenalized, engaged in every second game. And he has to be adrenalized every game. And sometimes, you know, you wish you could take these players and, and just show this is what we want. This is what we need because he can, he can walk anyone on a one-on-one with his legs when he's going, he's got a great shot. And I wouldn't mind seeing the capitals go to a power play, you know, some nights, not every night, because I, I don't like the same old, same old power play. I get sick of it. And I, I really do get sick of watching the Capitals power play at times because it's, you know, they, they, they ovi, ovi, ovi it too much. But if you were able to go with, uh, say, John Carlson up top and he's feeding one timers to either side Mantha or Ovechkin, all of a sudden you're going to have penalty killers overplaying it. But I think he has to prove that he's ready for it. He's got to be totally engaged every game. And that's been the knock on him his entire career. Uh, it's why he got drafted where he got drafted. Uh, it's one of the reasons we, why he may have been traded and he needs to be better for the capitals. And I, I think the first year that he was here at that trade deadline, when he was traded for Verona, uh, he looked in the playoffs, you know, never been in the playoffs. He didn't look great. I think he was overwhelmed and felt the pressure last year. He was somewhat better, but I think as time goes on here, you want him to be the guy you're counting on. And if they can play him at right wing, which is where they're going to start him to start this season, I think it's really going to help in the ice time department because, you know, right now, you know, TJ Oshie, in my opinion, if he's healthy, he's got to play in the third line. And it should be Mantha, Connor Brown up there. And then when Tom Wilson comes back, you got to figure out. But you've got to get Mantha. He has to deserve his ice time, but you want him working hard enough to deserve it to get out there because he's got, he's got that skill. And he's lucky he's in an American market because in Canada – he'd get absolutely decimated on the games that you're not noticing him. You mentioned the possibility of Washington shopping for a centerman at the trade deadline outside of John Carlson. Is this a, a blue line that uh, needs some help as well, or, or are they good enough by committee? Oh, well, I think last year, when you look at what Dmitry Orloff and Nick Jensen were able to do, uh, they were you know, two of the top, they were a shutdown pair. They were plus 30 plus 40, something ridiculous. And, you know, so those guys are there. Now it's a matter of Martin Ferrivari, the young player. Uh, I think he just had a birthday. He's 23 today. And he uh, has to play way better. He faltered in the last, I'll say third of the season, if not longer. Uh, he started, you know, getting caught pinching on plays. He shouldn't have going in on weird angles, lunging at pucks. 
He's got to elevate his play. And I thought Laviolette was very stubborn in the last half of the season when the Caps had this kind of like this gem uh, on their third pair and Trevor Van Riemsdyk who can play left or right. And most people, when you see him every night and you guys love the game, I love the game, and you appreciate these players that are like the utility knife. And uh, this kid should have been on the first unit with Carlson because even last preseason, he was the guy that fit the best with him. He's a right-handed shot, but he always makes the right play. Uh, I always thought he was six one. I stand next to him. He's actually six foot three. Very smooth, very calm, makes all the right plays, and there's some great depth there. So I look at, you know, hopefully if Farabari's not up to the task, they move up Ben Reemsdyke, and then you're going to have to do something, you know, further down the line. Who's going to play in that that uh, third right unit defense? And that's I think where they may need to add another righty at some point if Van Riemsdyk has to go up to those top lines and Farabari's not stepping up like he should. And, you know, there, there's just, you know, just little tweaks like that. So am I a hundred percent confident with that group of D? No, because the, the system they play, I think puts them sometimes flat footed too many times on the dump ins. And none of those guys are, you know, or Orloff is a nice skater, but he's not a perfect skater. Jensen's got a hitch in his Van Riemsdyk's the smoothest of the bunch. Farabari's fast. Uh, but you look at it, they're not the type of D that can play the game where they're, you know, trying to retrieve pucks all the time. So I, I would say that would be a weakness back there. Hey, listen, be gentle on me uh, this weekend. I'm not 25 anymore. Well, I thought you were drinking Buddha juice all the time, and you had your like all, all your all your abilities beat up. And uh, you know what? And I'll I'll make sure you only have a few cans of my personal beer. And because uh, it's got a lot, a ton of it's got a ton of alcohol, and actually, unfortunately, I feel it when I have a few of those, just a few actually. So we'll have a great time this weekend, and uh, it'll be funny to uh, hear your loud, obnoxious laugh over and over and over. It'll be awesome. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> definitely trade a few little Buddhas uh, over your way. Hey, thanks for doing that uh, in this, and All right, take- uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah, see you in a few hours. Take care, Justin. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Alan May. I'm, I fear for you, Kipper. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> do you, so like my, my wife just went on a trip with her college girlfriends, which was, you know, like 20 years oh, ago now. Nap, Napa. Yeah, Napa. yeah. And like it's Thursday. She got back on Sunday. She's still struggling. Like it's, oh, wow. you know what I mean? Like you, when you, you try to get back to with the old crew and hang like you used to and it just doesn't work. I know that doesn't work. It just you pay the price after. So I oh, fear for you. I know. I know. Hey, listen, um, we're, we're going to close this off, and I don't want to leave it on a negative note, but I know that you tweeted a little bit about the Hockey Canada and and what's going on there and this Andrea Skinner, who I guess is an interim uh, board of director. I, she really didn't do herself any favors uh, the mm. other day uh, with her comments, did she? No, no, it's... Uh... Hockey Canada is in a tough spot right now. They're, they've failed the, the country and a lot of people in a lot of ways. And by not being willing to address those things and make changes, uh, they're paying the price financially now too. You know, dropped by several major sponsors, Canadian Tire, Tim Hortons, tell us all sorts of places. So uh, it's it's a mess. It's a mess as we launch into the hockey season. I'm, I mean, eyes on that to see what comes next. Well, what should come next is people... Uh doing the right thing here yeah and uh, maybe it's just time for some people to move out and some new people to come in it may be that simple to start the healing process all right our thanks to kevin woodley 
Andrew Raycroft, Alan May, and especially all of you who stand by us on The Real Kipper and Bourne Show. We take a pause tomorrow for the Jays and Seattle, but we're back on Monday with who, JB? Who's coming Monday? Sammy. Oh, yeah, Sam. Sammy <laughs> McKee back to start a great week of National Hockey League season. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you Monday.